As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another week here. Uh, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everybody, for jumping in on this special extra episode this week. Of course, last week our schedule got kind of thrown into flux, and that's what usually happens with Thursday games, um, Thursday primetime games, no less, where you have a Sunday game and then a Thursday game, and it's just a lot of post-game wrap-up all right in a row. Didn't uh, We didn't get you that, that preview episode, but promised you this extra episode, and here we are. And today I wanted to make it all about what, uh, what was on your mind, because you've heard me bloviate takes for the entire season, basically. And you've heard us have some guests on, and uh, Matt Beauvais jumps in on the post-game shows. But I wanted to hear about what's on your mind, and, and figuring out uh, what exactly... What exactly you're looking to as the season kind of shifts into the final portion? You know, the Bills are seven and four on the year. They're a game down in the division, or half a game down in the division. And it's looking like it's going to be a battle to win the AFC East and get some uh, get some breathing room, get a home playoff game, everything like that. And in their potential push for a Super Bowl, which seems I think probably, based on how the season has gone so far, probably seems a little bit further away than where it did earlier in the year, especially right after that Kansas City win. You know, there we've seen the Bills falter a bit, and now we have to see exactly what this team is made of and how they are going to move going forward. So we'll get into the New England game on the next episode and really break that down. And by the way... What I said last week, our guy Matthew Fairburn is going to be on for that episode, so be sure to uh, tune in to that one because that'll be good. Catching up with him and then also hearing things from a Patriots perspective as to why they have become such a thing in the NFL. But today is, like I said, all about you and what questions you might have, concerns you might have about this Bills Bills team this year and also moving forward. So I opened it up the forum on Twitter. I just asked, hey, if you have any questions, 
be sure to send them along and then I'll do my best to answer as many as I can uh, in the uh, in the time that I have to record the show. So we'll just jump right into it. And I think the the first place I want to start is with the biggest news item stemming from that Thursday night game, which was Tredavious White going down with a season ender season excuse me, I can't talk today. Season ending injury, uh, torn ACL. He's done, and we'll see when he might be able to be back next year, but uh, we we do know that it is going to be Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson at least for the interim. So our first question comes from at Dan underscore Austin underscore double underscore. I used to live the underscore life. I uh, I got rid of the underscore about like, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Kind of miss it if I'm honest, but, but yeah, you keep repping the underscore world of, of Twitter, Dan, uh, Dan writes, what schematic changes do you see happening to the bills defense with Tredavious white being hurt? Now that is, a complicated answer because we don't really know just yet. I mean, you you can you can uh, effectively take guesses at what they'll do. Now, what Tredavious White was really good at is allowing the safeties basically to not pay too much attention to whatever was happening over there. I mean, they would keep an eye on on what's happening if anything got behind Tredavious White. This is mostly a zone based defense and. Uh, they would uh, effectively, if if Tredavious White falters, then there would conceivably be someone there. But there's a lot of times that they're rolling coverages away from him because they know that they have it. Um, they'll allow Jordan Poyer to play more of a hunch down in the box area as opposed to you know stay, staying firm to what he is supposed to do on a given play. And these are all things that have taken this zone-based defense uh, to a different sort of level this year. So Tredavious White is so integral. And all of the plays that he makes outside of his normal uh, expectations for a given play. Like I can't tell you how many times over the years that that we've seen White sense something from the quarterback, leave the zone that he was dropping back into, playing a hunch because he's understanding what's going on around him, seeing the entire field, seeing the routes that are happening around him, and then playing the hunch to go hunt the football, either to break up a pass or to uh, intercept the ball. We saw that. Let's see. What game was that? I think it was the Jets game. Yeah, it was the Jets game where he came away from his zone and then had enough time to where he could flip his body around and still come away with with the interception of Mike White. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was White versus White. Um so the, he does all of that for a defense, and they are losing all of that because now they have to pay special attention to what's going on with Dayton Jackson. So I think it's – I don't think we'll see any more blitzing or anything like that to try and overcompensate. I think they're going to play it pretty straight up as to what they normally call, except I don't think they'll be as willing to take as many schematic and – you know, spur of the moment chances as they would have without Tredavious White. So I, I'll be really interested to see how it kind of flips once we see the film after the upcoming game against the Patriots, but you just don't know at this point. And, uh, and we'll see how, how they go about it that way. Uh, the next question stemming from the Tredavious White injury comes from 
at McCabeAJ192. His name is just AJ. So AJ asks, do you believe that the Bills have struggled being a front runner? In the past, they have always played the underdog. Underdog. As unfortunate the Trey White injury is, do you see the Bills trying to play the underdog card now missing their best defensive piece? I I mean, AJ, I know exactly where you're coming from here. I mean, this is something that I have brought up on the podcast a lot, and even in my writing too, where it seems like this team just has a different sort of edge when they feel like they've been disrespected. And it's so... It's borderline corny, right? Like, it's just total stereotypical, like, oh, underdog, gonna gonna really rise up and prove everybody wrong. But this team has somehow legitimately thrived every single time, almost every single time that they have felt disrespected over the last few years. And going back to the Chiefs game, uh, which is the only time where they were going up against a, a a playoff contending team that they have uh, also been the underdog in that matchup, and they just came through with the biggest answer possible. Uh, all the other games, like Steelers, Colts, uh, these are examples of them not really uh, not really living up to the moment, the Titans as well, not living up to the moment of being the team that is favored going in. They probably should have won two of those three games that I just mentioned, the Steelers game and the Titans game. I mean, they were basically two feet away from winning the Titans game, but they let that one slip through their hands on a lot of other plays than than just that one. So I think there is something to do with that, AJ. I think I think you're onto something. This team has not lived up to it just yet. And maybe that's a part that they're struggling with, trying to manage being the team that's uh, that everyone is trying to battle against and live up to, as opposed to uh, them just trying to finally get over the top and become one of those top teams. The Tredavious White piece to it is interesting because I'm sure the defense is going to take this first week personally as to, you know, not being with their their top cornerback. I don't know that I would say he's their best defensive piece. I think he's up there. Um, certainly, he is their most... He was the one that they could afford to lose least this year, which I think is a different conversation than best. Just because of the depth at cornerback. I think that's that's the delineation between the two. But I think without him, there's going to be a, a certain answer. And I, I look at guys like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer as the two guys that really embody this, uh, this line of thinking above all the other defensive players out there. They will have to do the most to compensate for Tredavious White. Also, the pass rushers will have to do a lot more and and get into the backfield and be able to make an impact to where Dane Jackson isn't getting picked on by the Patriots this coming week against uh against um you know on the Monday night game and certainly moving forward into the future. I think uh there is a certain amount of rallying to it uh where they can kind of play this underdog thing 
you know, I don't think you're I don't think they're gonna fall short of potential underdog pieces to this upcoming matchup because of course Trey Trey White, they're down uh in the division, they're second in the division right now. Behind them, they would have to win just to get back into the lead. I think they'll be game for that one. I think the bigger question is what do they what do they do when they're playing teams like Carolina uh, down the stretch of the season? You know, they're probably not going to be favored in Tampa. I think Tampa's one of the best, if not the best team in the league right now. So not Tampa, but what do they do against Carolina? What do they do against Atlanta? What do they do against the Jets again? I mean, I. I think we know. And then what do they do when, if they are to beat the Patriots here and become that favorite again, what do they do in the return matchup? That'll be what ultimately, I think, defines who this Bills team is is this season. We've seen a whole lot of flopping when favored against solid teams. We've seen very little of dominating when, when favored. And we've seen a ton of them coming up as underdogs and really punishing teams for being injured and using their backup quarterbacks. We've seen a lot of that. We haven't seen a much of the other thing. So I'll be interested to see that, AJ. I think that's one of the the biggest underlining things remaining of the schedule and how this team will ultimately uh, play out this season because it will mean a lot heading into the playoffs, especially if they end up winning the AFC East and have some home playoff games and have to defend their turf against these teams that they're just getting beat by at, at the moment, which is like the Colts and we'll see what happens with the Patriots and everything like that. So to be determined there. But yeah, I think there could be a little bit of an extra push this week. Next up is uh, a question from Nate, who is at BillsFan671. He writes, what is your best guess as to why the Bills have not addressed guard and cornerback depth the past two years? I think, at least for the guard position, I don't think that they value it positionally with their roster-building philosophy. You know, there are certain outliers of prospects where they you, you sit there and go, okay, this player is too good to pass up regardless of roster-building potential. But guard is something that they just have not really paid a lot of attention to uh, throughout their time building up this team over the past five years like think back to their most their their biggest strikes whether it be in the draft or free agency what do we have Wyatt Teller Jack Anderson um you know they ended up being wrong by trading away Teller but he was a fifth round pick Jack Anderson was a seventh round pick they signed a couple of middle tier guys like John Feliciano and Quentin Spain neither of which really broke the bank just like these these middle middling contracts that aren't really going to break you that you can easily get out of and it's not really going after a star guard for your entire process i think that is the counterbalance to them going really hard at both offensive tackle and center we've seen them spend a second round pick on Deion dawkins a third round pick on Spencer Brown. We've seen them sign a a pretty lucrative extension to Daryl Williams, who they expected him to be their their starting right tackle this season. He only shifted inside to guard because he stunk up the joint 
uh, when he was outside at tackle, and then Spencer Brown looked ready. They spent a lot of money at the center position, both in signing Eric Wood to a contract extension um, in the year, in the summer before his final season where he had to retire, and then Mitch Morse, another one who they signed to a huge contract in free agency, one of their biggest swings in free agency since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have taken over. So when you assign all of that, all of those resources at those three positions, at guard, conceivably, you can get by a lot easier because those are easier to find in the draft uh, later and you don't have to use these precious resources. Cody Ford was a tackle when they drafted him. I mean, then he eventually moved inside to guard because he couldn't play tackle. So I think that's probably the reason why you're seeing them not addressing it with a huge resource. And I honestly, I would expect that trend to continue as in like a first round pick. I wouldn't rule out a second or third round pick, maybe if they just want to complete the line, but they still both have Feliciano and Daryl Williams signed to next year. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a, a shoe in as for cornerback. I'm with you. I don't know why they believed that Levi Wallace could be a suitable starter for them. And, and they are right in that Tredavious white is obviously their star. Taron Johnson is a good nickel, but Dane Jackson is a seventh round pick from a year ago been hit or miss every time he's been in the lineup and they don't have anything past him. So now they're staring a situation in the face because of this Trey White injury of having either Saran Neal or Cam Lewis take legitimate snaps for you as a starting boundary corner. And Dane Jackson is the safest of the three, even though he's the most volatile of the three. Saran Neal is not a boundary cornerback. He's a special teams guy, and he is a uh, a coverage for hire guy based on matchup. Like he'll eventually he'll match up against some tight ends, but he's just not a boundary cornerback. Cam Lewis, he's a nickel cornerback that can give you reps on the outside. Like it's not promising if even with Dane Jackson in the starting lineup, and if one of Jackson or Wallace get hurt, then, man, this becomes a humongous issue, even more so than it is now. That's why earlier I touched on it. That's why Trey White was the player they could least afford to lose on defense and really the player they could least afford to lose um, only behind Josh Allen, in my mind. So now we get to see that that, uh, depth and how it gets tested. They should have drafted a cornerback in the first four rounds over the last couple of years. They needed to do it, and they didn't. They neglected it. Uh, they neglected it in free agency. Just, it's a very interesting way to go about it. Um, but they wanted to get better at defensive end, and they felt like their safeties could make up for if uh Tredavious White had to miss any time now we'll see that thought process be challenged so I don't have a good answer for you but I would expect that cornerback gets addressed very prominently in the draft this year especially considering the timing of Tredavious White's injury it's now late November it's usually about a a nine-month rehab process is he going to be ready for the start of the season Who knows? Levi Wallace is also a free agent at the end of the year. We get to find out if Dane Jackson can be a starting answer for them moving forward. And if he's not, then cornerback becomes a huge need 
But if he is, they still might need someone to help them get by till whenever Tredavious White gets ready to go. So a lot to think about. So I think that's going to be something they address moving forward here. All right. Next up, we have Lost Shepherd at Lost Shepherd 2. He writes, I'm curious to have a breakdown of Greg Rousseau. He splashed on the scene pretty early, but has seemed silent since then. I'm wondering what a more experienced eye might be able to tell us about his progress and his play now compared to early on and what the Bills think of his trajectory. I think right now, um, let's see, I, I had your name. Let me see if I can go back and find it. Uh, let's see, Mark. This is Mark. Sorry for not including that at the beginning. Well, Mark, I think Rousseau has basically had the year of a rookie. He remains to me the most... He remains the guy that has the most potential. I think this year, and you're not going to like this, I think this year his season has been kind of reminiscent of Trent Murphy. (laughs) And I've kind of thought about this uh, over the last month or so. And that's, that's kind of the... That's kind of the comparison here right now. Now, he does things way better than Trent Murphy, and he has more potential in a lot of areas. But right now, what he is, is he is a sound run defender that is here and there creating pressure in the backfield. It's not consistent. He's got to learn how to vary up his moves some more. And he, I think playing with a little bit more fire off the snap might help. But he's he is a damn good run defender. Like to the point where he can be rushing upfield, keep the defenders off him with his super long arms, disengage, and then dive forward at the, at the ball carrier who thinks that they have a rushing lane, and then get them get their legs to at least trip them up or to make the tackle himself. Like that part of his game has been really good. The pass rushing has been just. I've mentioned this before, hit or miss. The consistency needs to be there. He's going to get the reps to kind of iron it out. And they're probably hoping that his best football is ahead by, you know, not giving him a ton of snaps. Like he's not getting 80% of snaps. He's getting somewhere between 50 to 60 most weeks. He gets the start every single week and he's going to be their left defensive end from here on out and moving forward. But it is is also pretty telling that when the Bills get to third down, they are usually subbing in Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison as their pass rushing uh, pairing. Unless those guys were just on the field for a bunch and then um, Rousseau and one of Epinesa or Boogie Basham or F.A. Obata, one of those guys get out there. But for the most part, they look to get Hughes and Addison on the field. And I don't think that's damning. I think he's just a young player trying to figure things out and figure things out from a pass rushing perspective. So that's, I still think he has a lot of potential because he puts some things on tape where you're like, whoa, he can do that. And those are things that Trent Murphy could never do. But rookie year, Greg Rousseau has basically been Trent Murphy in my mind. When Trent Murphy was actually getting some pressure on the quarterback early in his Bills career. Yeah, I think that's that's right around the comp because Murphy was still a, a pretty good run defender. 
Uh, I think Rousseau is a better run defender than Trent Murphy is, which gives him a leg up. And I think he has more potential as a pass rusher. So probably not the comparison you wanted to hear, but just know that I think there's a lot of meat on the bone there for Greg Rousseau moving forward. And uh, I think I think he can be a pretty good player. And he's going to need to be because he's going to be a, a locked-in starter next year, especially if both Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes are no longer with the team because they are both free agents next year. So we'll see on that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Next question comes from at Anon3716776969. Well, Anon3716776969, you wrote, Your first pick for the Bills in the 2022 draft is a guaranteed Hall of Famer. Which position do you select? I thought a lot about this. And there are a couple of positions that spring to mind because I think I first want to answer this based on a based in reality. Just because, you know, you have the Bills and they have Josh Allen. They just signed him to a $252 million contract extension. I don't think that they would spend an additional pick on a quarterback. So we're going to take quarterback out of the equation because it's just unlikely for them to do that. But I think all the other positions are on the table here. So it's basically saying, okay, which position do you think is most important to have a Hall of Fame talent. And the two spots that came to mind for today's NFL were were defensive end, edge rusher, and wide receiver, at least for me. You can make an argument for a tight end because they're a game-changing talent, everything like that. Um, And that's certainly a, a big component um, that you have to consider. But I think I, of those three spots, I probably pick wide receiver just because year over year, I think the most sustainable part of a team and their building structure is what they can do on offense. And if you can lock in, and I'm looking years down the line here. If you can lock in a Hall of Fame level talent at wide receiver, pair him with Stefan Diggs, and when then when Stefan Diggs' contract is up, uh, he moves moves on to his uh, his next phase. Maybe they resign him. Maybe they don't. He'll be in his 30s at that point. And then the draft pick guaranteed Hall of Famer becomes your number one or your total number one as opposed to one A one B with Diggs. Then you're still in a really good spot. 
uh, with Josh Allen as your quarterback, trying to find him and everything like that. Pass rusher is appealing because it affects the opposing quarterback, but I think teams can do more to take away that player than, say, a wide receiver, at least at least for me. I think there are unique ways you can get a receiver involved. And when you look at longevity, pass rushers are taking more hits and a lot more physicality at the line of scrimmage, a lot more potential to get rolled up on uh, by an opposing team. Same thing with tight ends. They're they're in the trenches blocking a bunch. They're uh, trying to keep uh, keep their running game alive. They are they're helping add to that perspective. Sometimes they're kept in to block. Um, a lot of hits that those two positions are going to take that would counter the overall longevity. So I think the wide receiver factor. Pairing the pairing him with Diggs, pairing him with Allen, having them potentially for, I don't know, ten to fifteen years. I think that's a really good place to start. So, so yeah, I'm I'm going with receiver. I know it's probably not what everyone else would go with, but I think it's just uh, it's a way to help keep the Bills' fastball alive, which is their offense. And uh, for as long as Josh Allen is going to be on the books with that contract extension of his, they're going to need some cheap pieces and getting a Hall of Fame level wide receiver, especially if Diggs is moving on after his contract is done, then uh, I think that's a pretty good place to start. All right, next uh, next question comes from Brad at bhesh34. And he writes, any movement or expectations about a long-term contract for Edmonds? Will the cap space allow them to make a competitive offer? I think they're in a good spot right now with Edmonds to where they don't necessarily have to worry about it at the at the moment. I think that will be an emphasis for them in the summer, right before the season. He's still signed to next season. He's got the uh, fifth-year option that is guaranteed money, so they know that. What they can do is a lot of uh, a lot in the same of what they've done previously with with some of these expiring contract guys, where they use that that year coming up to help the the contract extension to where they can kind of diversify where money is going, when money is going. So basically, they can not rip it up that money has to be included for 2022 but they can just repurpose it as long as that money is hitting so you can even lessen his cap hit in 2022 and keep it moving forward to where um, the bigger cap hits will be hitting once the salary cap is projected to go up with all these new these new tv deals um, gambling partnerships things like that there's going to be a spike year one of these years and uh, I think a lot of people are potentially looking at 2023 for something like that. So uh, I think they're in a good spot right now. They they look at him as the future of their defense. And I don't think, barring an injury, I don't think they're going to let Tremaine Edmonds go anywhere. He has been awesome this year. I think fans are, well, not all fans. I think a lot of fans uh, were wise to it. But I think a certain portion of the fan base that did not, think too highly of Edmonds heading into this year have reversed course reversed course for the most part 
um, after seeing how important he is to this defense, how he's developed as a run defender, how good he is in pass coverage, how he affects throwing lanes, and and how he reads uh, quarterbacks. I think he's he's really hitting a stride this year. And, I mean, 23 years old. So he's going to be here for a long time. Next question. Uh, at Bill Took writes, what do you expect a new stadium will look like? What would you like to see in a new facility? Now, I'm probably in the retractable roof group, but I don't think that's that's going to happen based off everything that my colleague uh, Tim Graham has reported. And, you know, it's looking like it's going to be happening in Orchard Park and it, it's looking like it's going to be an open-air stadium because both of those things are the cheapest options, especially when you're building a, a pretty expensive structure. So, um, I think they'll still they'll still uh, bring about some historical parts to it, and, and not make it look totally cookie cutter. This is another thing that I think you don't want to hear. But the one stadium that I would look at is Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. That outdoor stadium is awesome. If you've never had a chance to go. And you want to check out a Bills game there when, whenever the heck they're not going to be playing on a Christmas weekend, which has been consistent over the last three or four years at this point. It is a super cool concept because it's not a complete bowl. It has like different little, um, different little nooks and crannies to it. The sight lines are super good. Uh, they have one one part of their end zone that completely opens up to where you can see it from street level. Uh, when you're walking in, that's pretty unique. They also have like a little village of shops and stuff behind it, uh, behind Foxborough, pretty close by within walking distance to where you can you can go spend the day uh, or after the game lets out, you can go in there and and find a place to find a place to have some food or some some more drinks, things like that. Um, it's all designed really well as like its own little college campus and i think that would be a a pretty cool thing for for the bills to do because they have so much room in the orchard park structure like what's there uh ecc is there on the one side where all the parking lots are and then you've got on the other side the um obviously where the stadium sits now and their facilities but if they could find a way to do a little bit of that Foxborough feel to it. I think I think that'd be pretty cool. Of course, they would want to design it in their own way. If I think they should try to avoid more cookie cutter stadiums like Cleveland. Um, I'm trying to think another another uh, example of an outdoor stadium that isn't that great. I didn't. I don't mind the Miami structure either because they do it kind of like a soccer style to where they have the coverage over the over where the fans are sitting and they have the the natural elements whether it be sun or rain definitely not snow down there but um they have that component to their stadium to where it kind of keeps your your crowd covered but still the the same elements remain so i think that's that's kind of a unique thing and that's something that um you really only see in europe outside of here so uh, there's just a couple of ideas if they're not going to do a a retractable or an uh, indoor structure Uh, yeah those are pretty good ones. Uh, let's see. Next up comes from at plug flow frappe. All right. 
Assuming the Bills can win the division and at least get one of the wildcard teams in the first round, which of the teams in the hunt do you think the Bills should fear the most? Well, I think the Colts make a compelling case <laughs> after they just uh, blew their doors off a couple of weeks ago at home. But I do think the Bills will be more game for that one. I still think the Chargers are really darn good. Uh, and where the Chargers really struggle from a defensive perspective is as a run defense. And that's where the Bills aren't as strong. So and I think I think there's some difficulties there. But honestly, I think the Bills should hope that the Colts are able to zoom up the standings and take down the Titans and put the Titans in a wild card spot, which I think is within the realm of possibilities based on all the players that the Titans are missing currently. You know, AJ Brown's on IR. Julio Jones has been out. Uh, Derek Henry's on IR. What's left for Ryan Tannehill in that offense? And that defense is just okay. They're not really that great. So I think the Bills should root for the Colts to get that AFC South under control. Because it's definitely possible. Still a lot of time left for, for that to happen, especially with, you know, maybe how the Titans might see their next few weeks go. So I'll go with the Chargers and the Colts. Am I forgetting anybody? No, not the Raiders, not the Broncos, not the Browns. The Patriots, maybe. We'll have to see how, how those two teams go up against one another. But everybody else, like the Chiefs, they're going to they're gonna win the AFC West. Um, I don't think the Bills should fear the Bengals. The Ravens are probably going to win the South. I don't think the Bills should fear the Steelers. I think they'll beat them the next time if they play them again. Yeah, I think I think it comes down to the Colts, Chargers, and Patriots. So, yeah, those, those would be the ones I'd have my eye on. And the Colts were a bad matchup for the Bills last year, too. So that that's just a continuation. All right, next up comes from... At Adam Williams 95, he writes, do you think you will ever add new awards based on some current players? That's a great question. Because right now we have the Matt Barkley Award for the player that catches you surprised for good reasons. We have the Dre Archer Award for the player that just doesn't show up because he quite literally did not show up. We have the Vontae Davis Award for the player that doesn't show up in the second half for obvious reasons. And then also the uh, Blaine Gabbert, Matthew Fairburn Award for Perseverance. Um, which has nothing to do with the Bills whatsoever. And the Gotta Watch the Tape Award for what Sean McDermott said back in 2018 after Nathan Peterman's uh, horrendous performance against the Ravens in Week 1. So I think there there will be new awards added. It just, it just has to feel right. Like, Vontae Davis, that felt right, right? I mean, that was, what, 2018, 2019? I can't remember now. But yeah, that was... Uh, and then Matt Barkley got added. So that was only a couple of years ago. I think I think we'll know the moment when something comes out of nowhere and you're just like, wow, this is so good that I have to name an award after it. I have faith that it'll happen again. Could even happen later this year. But uh, so far, haven't seen it. But I have faith, Adam Williams. I have faith. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, our final question is a fun one and wanted to end on a fun one. Comes from at John Brown 557. Hopefully not that John Brown, but I don't think it is. He writes, what is the funniest story you have from your time on the beat? Now, there are, I would refer you to the episode uh, right in the off season when Mike Rodak, who used to cover the Bills for ESPN, was leaving to uh, move down to Alabama. He's now covering the Crimson Tide for AL.com, by the way. It was me, him, and Matthew Fairburn just talking about <laughs> a ton of stuff from the beat. So if you have time to go dig that one up, by all means, go find it. For now, I'll give you three different things that were my favorite. Two were were team involved. One was just like on the beat involved because it's just a great story. The first one uh, comes, uh, actually, both of them are Ryan Fitzpatrick stories, which leaps and bounds. Funniest guy I've ever covered. There's really no question in my mind. The first, uh, the first story, I remember I was walking back towards the locker room and Fitzpatrick, uh, decided to join me and we, and we went, we walked back down towards that way together. And he comes up to me and goes, what do you know, Skaggs? And I'm like, little backstory. Skaggs is like my childhood childhood nickname from first grade. No one in the professional realm really knew about it, anything like that. Um, just just my closest friends and and everybody that knew me growing up. Uh, to everybody else, I was just Joe Biscaglia or Joe B, whatever whatever the mood strikes you. So when he looked at me, this was back in I think like 2011 or 2012, and and I'm like. Who do you know? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you just call me Skaggs. He's like, well, you don't have to be a Harvard grad to realize that your nickname is Skaggs. So I thought that was, that was pretty funny. Um, just just a little one-off type of humor from Fitzpatrick playing on the Harvard thing. Another funny story I had was Ryan Fitzpatrick involved where he uh, came up to me after practice one day. And I think this was either my first or second year on the beat. I can't remember which one, but he, he comes up to me and goes, all right. Um, what size is your waist? I'm a, I'm a thin dude. I'm a slender dude. I was even thinner back then. So, so I'm like, where's he going with this? And I'm just like 32. And, and he goes, oh, I'm like, why? What, what, what's, what's going on? And he's like me. Brom and Levi Brown had a bet going as to as to what what your waist size was. <laughs> I was just like, well, who won? And he's like, I think Levi did. So Levi Brown won the uh, won the waist size. <laughs> this this is this was pretty commonplace, like that sort of atmosphere uh, <laughs> when Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback. A lot of tongue and cheek stuff. A lot of stories that. Uh, We'll never see the light of day that were hilarious, but those are just two little one-offs. Um, he's a very, very funny guy, and uh, he is stuck around the NFL for a lot longer than I think anyone has, has ever anticipated that he would. But but yeah. All right, now to a story that has nothing to do with the Bills 
or the players themselves. It's all travel induced. So uh, a lot of times when you're you're going on the road, it, there's a, people that work at different companies, but you're all going to the same place. So a lot of times you compare travel notes to see if you're going on the same planes, um, same connectors, you know, where you're staying at the same hotel, just because, you know, if you have like a little community that goes down to a, to a game, you know, hang out with them. So the one year, I don't even remember when, it might have been when we were going out to California. We were connecting to uh, to a flight through Detroit, and we had a 50-minute layover. At the time, I was working for Channel 7. Um, Matthew Fairburn was working for uh, Syracuse.com, and Jay Skursky, who... Um, Works for the Buffalo News, obviously still was with the Buffalo News back then. And so we uh, we were on the same flight going from Buffalo to Detroit. We had a 50-minute layover. And this was before the time of Chick-fil-A uh, being in Buffalo. So Jay and and his wife are huge Chick-fil-A in, enthusiasts. And so he's and he's just like, all right, we well, we got it. We got to get Chick-fil-A. We just need to make it happen before we get on this long flight out west. So me and, uh, me and Matthew Fair were like, yeah, yeah, we're game. Let's go. So we get into, I believe it's the, the B terminal at Detroit, which is, for my money, the single longest terminal. Um, we were flying Delta. So we were, it was the single longest terminal um, <laughs> that I've seen in all of my travels so far. And like we got off the plane around like, I don't know, B9. And the Chick-fil-A was all the way down, like past B65 or something, something in, in that realm. And we're just like, all right, we've got 50 minutes. And, you know, the Chick-fil-A usually has a line. So got to do a little bit of hustling here. So we walk all the way down um, and really like power walking, not running, but a very brisk walk, using as many moving uh, walkways as we could, get all the way down, and and we get to the line. Not not a horrible line. So Jay is first in line. Uh, Matthew and I are behind him. So Jay goes and orders his food. We order our food. We're all waiting. Um, wait like maybe five, 10 minutes. We're about like 15, 20 minutes before the flight leaves. And Jay sees his food. And I was like, all right, boys, meet you down at the gate. <laughs> he, grabs, he grabs the food and just takes off. <laughs> and Fairburn look at each other like, uh, okay. So he's he's uh, bolting down the way. Eventually, Fairburn and I get our food like maybe within the next couple of minutes. And so I look up. I'm like, there's that train up there. Want to see if we can uh, we can do that? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so we walk up the stairs and there's a train that, that goes from one side of the B terminal in Detroit to the other. And and so we're just like, okay. We waited like, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute for, for the train to get to us. Um, the train is there, starts going. And as we are going down, you know, casually eating our Chick-fil-A, we see Jay Skursky just busting it. Down, down the Detroit terminal um, through like he's still got a good like 30 gates to go and we are just well past him we get off the train 
casually walk down walk down the stairs waiting for our group to be called we see jay come up to us just completely sweating <laughs> just dripping in sweat he's just he's like what how did you guys do that we just pointed up to the train he's like oh my god just in, an incredible story and i think the the <laughs> the biggest part about this so we on the way there and and once we got to our seats on the plane we casually ate our uh at our ate our meals and then jay for some insane reason put because he was running put the chick-fil-a in his bag put the bag up in the top compartment so he had to wait until they they undid the secure seatbelt sign for him to go up and eat it so his entire bag reeked of chick-fil-a and he ended up eating chick-fil-a cold so long story short <laughs> could have been avoided by by jay just waiting that extra minute for us to you know try try out the train but and from here on out he uses the train back and forth to chick-fil-a but yeah that was a. Uh, that was a hell of a hell of a time, and um, it's one that we recall every once in a while. That of uh, <laughs> travel stories we will never forget. All right, I think that's going to do it for us on uh, this this version of the Q and A. Thanks to everyone for submitting those questions. Um, we'll be back later this week, and we'll be doing a preview podcast episode of the Bills up against the Patriots. And our guy, Matthew Fairburn, will be on. He is now the Patriots writer for The Athletic. And uh, he'll be joining us to go over what it could be the biggest game of the year for both of these teams. So it should be fun. All right. And if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat to get your subscription to The Athletic. Again, that's theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. All right, everybody. My name is Joe Biscali. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. We will talk to you later this week. See you then.